Thanks, Lance. Um, I, as he said, my name is Brad Clarity. Um, we, my wife Kate and my daughter Josie, uh, we are in the process of going overseas. We'll be, uh, Lord willing, leaving in December. Uh, it's been a, a testimony of the Lord's grace in our life, uh, transformative power of the gospel in my own heart the last few years to even bring us to this point. Uh, we are very excited uh, to be able to go and to make disciples of all nations, not because of our goodness, but the Lord in us and the gospel uh, power through us. So we're thankful for that. We're excited for that. And um, I just want to share a passage today about sending, how to send well, how to go well. Uh, but also I want to share just my own, my heart, my passion for this. And want you all to just, even just like Lance said earlier, have your hands open and let the Lord speak through his spirit, through his word to your heart today. Uh, but first I want to share a story um, from my childhood, I think that's relevant. Um, when I was in uh, elementary school, uh, we would always go out for recess, and one of our sports of choice was kickball. And in that time, all the guys would grab you know, the balls and run out to the field, and immediately we would just start, there would be a guy rolling the ball, and then we would just get in the line and just kick the ball as far as we could. And we would do this for like 10 minutes. And really what it was doing was it was uh, showing the team captains who were like the, the big, you know, the older guys, um, who they would want to pick in, uh, for the team. So if you didn't kick the ball very well, like, you know, your, your chances of getting picked in the top few is over. Or if you cranked one, you're like, man, I, I might get picked first today. This would be good. Um, well, for me, I never, I can remember always wanting to just, uh, just crank one. And I just never did. I was just a sh smaller guy. I was never picked last. But I was always in the middle. But I remember in that time, just thinking about how individualistic it can be to feel like, man, if I don't do well today, they're going like, to not, not want me to be on their team. Or if I do really well today, they're going to be really impressed with me, and I'm going to be like the best player. But that's, I, just, I think we can think about that type of individualized performance when we think about not only the church, but especially with missions. We can think that, man, I've got to be this perfect person that doesn't make any mistakes uh, to be worthy or good enough to go, uh, or people have to respect me and think that I'm really talented to be able to go. Uh, but I think, or the other side of it is, man, I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have experience. I've got a past. Surely God can't use me. There's got to be somebody else out there. But I want us to see today that this really is a teamwork effort. Like it's a, it's a community. It's a church. It's not individual. And we're going to look at a little church today in, in the book of 3 John um, but really, I do think that the sermon series that we've been going through um, this past uh, summer and in, into the fall in 2 Corinthians, which is titled Gospel Power, Human Weakness, I really do think that that is the testimony of missions. It's the power of the gospel going out to the nations through weak people. So really, this is just an application sermon of our sermon series, I think, and that is uh, how can we as weak people go and be sent out by the church and be part of God's mission to the nations. So if you want to, if you want to open up your Bibles to 3 John, uh, it's right before Revelation. If you're not sure where that's at, it's kind of uh, in the back of the Bible. Uh, we'll look at verses 5 through 8 today. Uh, so turn there with me and let's read. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. 
For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, in this, in this short, I mean, it's a really short letter. It's all on one page. Um, more than likely, this was the Apostle John who wrote this. This would have been the John who wrote the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament, or Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. Uh, and he kind of writes three letters, you could say, to, to churches, and this is one of those letters. Uh, in this letter, if you were to read it, you'll see in verse 1, it's uh, written to an elder or the leader of a church named Gaius and his church, kind of more broadly speaking. But if you really, if we were to take time and actually read this letter, you're going to see that they have some problems. Uh, there's a guy named Diotrephes. He's causing strife. There's pride. They're kicking out people of the church, un, like unlovingly kicking them out. There's gossip. So this church is by no means a perfect church. Um, but what we do see is that they've got something right. And that's kind of like, a, I think, a lot of ch every church that's ever existed, right? We all got our problems. We also, the Lord is still using us for his glory. So what we see this church and what they're doing well is that they are sending people out in a worthy manner. So really the question that I want to kind of ask today is how can we at Christ Fellowship uh, learn from this church in 3 John as we strive to send out missionaries. So the, the first characteristic that I see is that uh, this church uh, had loving care. Loving care. In verse 5, John acknowledges the church's pride um, or faithful efforts, uh, specifically towards these traveling brothers, or I, th I think it's brothers and sisters. Uh, and John adds that they were actually strangers. They were actually probably traveling in the region, um, in this area, and they were sharing the gospel with, with non-Christians, and they probably were coming into this church uh, for kind of a recharge, kind of rest, and then to be sent back out. So they, they didn't even know these individuals that were coming through their doors um, each and every week. But what they were doing, and we also see in verses 7 and 8 kind of more details, right? So they were workers, uh, and they were going out for the sake of the name of Jesus. So I think it's fair to say in our modern wording, that is a missionary. That's, we don't see missionary in the text here, uh, but we would understand someone who's going out for the name of Jesus to labor and to work. That's a missionary. So in other words, uh, this church was working hard to love and care for missionaries that they did not even know personally. Uh, in verse 5, we aren't, we're not given a step-by-step -step outline. We're not given footnotes on what they did do and what they didn't do that worked or didn't work. What we really get, uh, get to see is more of their heart posture more so than their actions. We said it. We see that um, their posture was loving. All their efforts were loving and caring for the missionaries. So with that in mind, I want to just look at two practical ways that we also can lovingly care for missionaries as they are seeking to go overseas. Now, the first one that I noticed and just think about when I think about loving and caring for people is to be gospel obsessed. So I used to work in a retail store a couple years ago, and one of our tenants that was we would recite every day before we opened up the store, it was posted on our poster in the break room, and our boss would tell us this, and that was to be customer obsessed. Basically, what that meant is that our main task while we were on the floor was to go to the customer when they walked in the door, ask them what they were looking for, answer relevant questions, listen intently, and hopefully 
offer helpful recommendations that would make their time in the store better, and hopefully that they would want to buy something by the end of our conversation. But at the same time, I was the guy that the if you're like an introvert, you're like not wanting to make eye contact with in the store because I'm going to come right to you and talk to you uh, and, and bug you with all these questions. But our hope was that when they left the store, that they would say, that was a pleasant experience. I would want to go back there again. But I think we as a church, we should have that same sort of posture in drawing near to missionaries, drawing near to ones who are wanting to go overseas or are praying through that possibility. So what does that look like for gospel obsession? It means meeting missionaries where they are, in their joy and sorrow, in their excitement and their fear, in their confidence and in their doubts, and in their strengths and in their weaknesses. Gospel obsession draws near and reminds of unwavering truth. Gospel obsession welcomes missionaries who share their sins, their doubts, their fears, knowing that they will be met with people who earnestly care about their soul and want them to be refreshed regularly in the gospel and know that we have a Lord and Savior who can empathize with all of our weaknesses. Gospel obsession reminds the missionary that God chose you not because of your good works, but because of Christ's perfect work. Gospel obsession makes missionaries aware it is more important what God is doing in them rather than what he, he is doing through them. Gospel obsession is more concerned about health and productivity. It's, it takes, it's, takes consistency. It takes time. Um, it's more worried about health than productivity. Gospel obsession kills the tendency of being afraid to make eye contact with one another and to share how you really are doing. It draws near to people. So if missionaries and those who are interested in going overseas feel like they can't come to those in the church with their struggles, their anxieties, their fears, then where else are they going to turn? May we be obsessed with encouraging our missionaries with gospel truth so that when they come out of the church, they know that they have people in their corner who love them and who care for them. Another way that I saw in this uh, this first part of the uh, verses here is through hospitality. Verse 8, we see the word support in the ESV, but the NIV translates it hospitality, which I think is uh, more along the lines of what John is, is encouraging the church to do. So I think hospitality simply is opening up our life to individuals and to missionaries. This includes both our resources and just our, our friendship and ourselves. Uh, this can look like opening up your home for meals. It can look like asking uh, just the hard questions in, in a safe space where they can listen. It's a place where you can offer discipleship and encourage. Those who are open and interested in going, they can begin to process that together with people, with families, and not feel like they need to figure that out on their own. It's a place where they can rest and relax and feel safe, where they don't have to put on a mask or a facade. They can be themselves. And I think, that, I think we can let our guard down in, in the confines of a home, and in the, in the confines of safe friendships that we trust. So think about that today for yourself. Who are people in this church that you have felt that from? Whether you're even considering going overseas or not, but just have you been welcomed into homes? Have you felt loved? Or have you been hospitable to others? If so, maybe go find them after church and encourage them and say, thank you for being so hospitable. It's really encouraged me in my walk. But I think for a perfect example of hospitality, we need to look no further than the ministry of Jesus. He, many, many times throughout the Gospels, does his teaching, discipleship, performs miracles in the confines of sharing a meal or in someone's home. 
So he involved others in his life. But of course, he knew that it would take time. He knew that it would take intentional effort. He invited people into, the, into his home, into people's homes. He would go to them where they were at. But in all of that, his ministry was done through the home, to people, over meals. I think we can model that very practically each week as we seek to care and love for those people in our church and outside of the church. But Jesus, obviously, he had a leg up on us, right? He's, he's God. He's perfect. His hospitality never failed. He was never tired, never, never you know, uh, forgot an appointment or overlooked somebody. But what that should show us is that we desperately need the Holy Spirit to be in the DNA of our hospitality. Because we're trying to do it on our own, in our own strength, and white-knuckling it. Um, our hospitality may fall short. But if we have Christ at the center, we have his Spirit leading us and guiding us. I think we will be able to care and love for people really effectively. But we also welcome because the gospel welcomes. We love sinners because Christ loved sinners. We treat others like family because we have been adopted into God's family in our salvation. There is a family life, life aspect to our life. And putting, letting people into your home allows for these relationships to form at a deeper level. So what if you committed just to invite someone who's going overseas, who's back from overseas, or who's interested in going overseas into your home? And just to encourage them, listen to them, share encouraging gospel truths. Just let them process what they're thinking and where their timeline's at. I'd encourage you to do that. If you know someone in that process, go talk to them today. Ask them. But also think that it goes beyond just having a door open or having your phone uh, open where you can respond to it, encouraging, t- send a text or a phone call, I think it actually creates a heart for missions even beyond that time in the home or that time together as friends. I believe that when we are gospel-obsessed and faithful in our hospitality, people feel free to grow within a church community where they know that they want nothing less than for them to look like Christ more and more. This means that there's a community that welcomes sinners to fight sin in the light of the gospel. It's where we disciple people to understand the truths of the Bible together. It's a place where we can give people a chance to serve within the church and develop and understand what their spiritual gifts are and how to build up the church in that way. And we also will commit to walking with each other through every hill and valley in our life, through thick and thin. We are going to walk with each other arm in arm, not leave anyone behind. This type of church community is, is infectious and can't and shouldn't be contained transform people want to see other people transformed. This is where the desire to take the gospel community outward to other people begins. We want others to hear, who have never heard, seen, tasted the fruit of the gospel to have a chance to do so. This is why we go to hard places. This is why we go where the spiritual darkness seems crippling and where the fortress of unbelief seems unpenetrable and the cost to go is high. These are the exact places where God wants us to go and to see his church taken and to see the gospel flag planted in these places that are dark, that are hard, that are scary, because he desires to see his church um, go there and to be victorious and to fight against the darkness. Think about a a battle. Um, Nobody's going to, in order to win the war, you've got to go to the middle of the fight. You just can't stay on the outskirts. And God wants to fight against darkness. He wants to fight against sin death and hell. And in order to do that, we've got to go to the middle. We've got to go to the battleground. And we've got to share the gospel and see and commit to seeing churches formed. 
But in order to be part of that task, we also have to be committed to worthy sending of our missionaries. Verse 6, John says, um, basically he says, great job loving these people. They they testified of it. But get them back out on the field. Um, And I think about a car repair shop was the first thing that came to mind about this kind of dynamic of getting people back out. What is the goal of a good repair shop? It's not to rip you off. It's not to, t- it's not to offer a fake fix. It's to fix your car, provide a, a remedy, and get your car back out on the road to do what it was designed to do, and that is to be driven. So when we think about, um, but, oh, I'm sorry, and a, go- a good repair shop provides regular maintenance to prevent worse damage. Imagine if you never put oil in your car, never got new tires, never got new brakes. Eventually, your car would be undrivable. This is how we should view taking care of missionaries. We do it regularly. We expect needed maintenance. We offer it freely. And our goal is to get them back out there on the field. The church shouldn't be and can't be a junkyard where we let people rust away into ineffectiveness. No one here is junk to be discarded not to be redeemed and be used by the Lord. So even if you feel like that, that's not your identity in Christ. That's not your trajectory. The Lord wants to use you. The Lord wants to redeem you. You're not just supposed to sit here and waste away. The Lord wants to bring you out of that. So don't see yourself as just, I'm just going to sit here and die. No, the Lord wants to use broken people for his glory. But also, we're not supposed to be a new car lot. right? We're not saying, hey, here's the standard to become a missionary. You'd have a college degree. You've got to have a perfect track record. You've got to have a seminary degree. You've got to be proficient in language. You've got to know other cultures. You've got to be sociable, charismatic, likable. You've got to be willing to go somewhere that's hard. You've got to have no fears, no doubts, no anxieties. If that's our standard, then just like new cars sitting at the lot, they're never going to get out on the road. We're never going to send anybody if we have that crazy high standard. But I think sometimes we can feel that, man, I'll never, I'll never mark up to that level. I'll never make it. I'm not good enough. I'll never even consider it. I'll just, I'll just stay here. No, we need to have the idea. No, like we're here to disciple and, and work with people so that they can go out and send people who are redeemed sinners who want to go out to share the gospel with the nations. And John gives us more clarity on what that aim must be as we send people out. John encourages the church in verse 6 to specifically send the missionaries out in a manner worthy of God. This idea also can be understood as doing the will of God. God is telling, or John is telling the church to send these missionaries with the will of God as their aim. So what is the will of God, you may ask, for the nations? I mean, I'm not going to read the 80 verses that throughout the Bible that speak to this question, but there are a few that I have that will be on the screen behind me um, that I do want to read. And these are from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, from Genesis and Revelation, so the first and the last book of the Bible. So his message has not changed, as you're going to see through time. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Psalm 22, 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and the families of the nations will bow down before him. Daniel 7, 14, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, 10, and 11 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Okay, so... I mean, that's a few verses right there. I would encourage you even just to search on your phone this week or look it up on your computer, the other 75 verses, and just see how consistent God's message is throughout the Bible, of his desire to see the nations, to see the languages, to see the people of all the world follow him, worship him as Lord and Lord alone. But this is just a mere glimpse. But this is what's on John's mind, I think, as he's telling the church to send these people back out. Uh, that they must go to the nations sharing the gospel that has transformed their life all for the glory of the Lord. But I can't speak about going on Mission Sunday without thinking about uh, the words of Jesus in Luke 10 to, I mean, this, is, this has been one of the verses that have kind of cut me to the heart as a college student and even now. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Ever since that statement has been proclaimed by Jesus, there's been a laborer shortage. If you were to have picked up the Bible 100 years ago and read that verse, you would have, you would have still said the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Or if you were to fast forward 100 years and, and have the Bible in your hand, the harvest is still plentiful, and the laborers are still few. So to me, that pricks my soul to say, man, why aren't more people going, even in Jesus' times and even now? We have a laborer. We have a shortage. And I want to just to kind of put another way of looking at this in your mind. Uh, picture, you know, close your eyes if you need to. Picture a luscious garden full of vegetables, fruits, uh, grain, corn, all of it, ready to go. Perfect, beautiful fruit, vegetables, food, ready to be eaten in that moment, ready to be cooked and served. And imagine in the next moment, you keep coming back to it day after day, and slowly you start seeing the fruit start to dry up, start to die, start to wither away. How sad would it be to realize, man, we could have harvested that food and eaten it had we just gone out and picked it. Christians, good crops are dying on the field today. Souls are ready to repent and believe in the gospel. If we would just, if they could just meet a Christian who is willing to share the gospel with them, there are people dying separated from God for all eternity today. All we need to do is go, be willing to go. But there's good news today. There's hope today. I believe that there's always a now hiring sign posted at the field of the harvest. God's ready to equip people who maybe right now unknowingly know that they need to go, who are, can go to the nations, go to the people who don't even know them yet, who will one day hear the gospel and believe in it because you answered the call to go and you tore the little piece of paper off the telephone pole and said, I will go. I will, I will take that job offer and I will go to the, the harvest because I know that the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. So I just pray that you would even be willing to consider that and to know that it is worth going, to see people turn from their sin and to believe in Jesus 
as their Savior. But also, I don't want to miss the opportunity just to look so far outward, not to look inward to our church today. So I want to share, um, maybe you don't know what the gospel is. I've been kind of saying it kind of just offhanded. Um, but the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ that transform our, life, our lives. So I want to share in four verses the gospel that I remember hearing and what changed my life. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. And because we are sinners, we are separated from a relationship with God, and we naturally live for ourselves. Romans 6.23 continues by saying that the wages of sin is death. In our habitual wrongdoing, we have earned death physically and spiritually, and our bodies will one day die, and our souls will be condemned, separated from God forever in hell. However, Romans 5.8 tells us that while we are still sinners, dead in our sin, living for ourselves, Christ died on the cross for our sins because God loves to save sinners. Romans 6.23 ends by saying that God's free gift of salvation and eternal life is offered through Christ alone because Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay. So how do we receive that gift? Well, Romans 10 not answers that question. When he beautifully and simply says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's our salvation hope. And if you're hearing that today and you know you aren't following Christ as Lord, would you have the courage to turn from your sin, believe in Christ's death and resurrection, and openly declare that Jesus is Lord alone of your life? If so, pray that prayer right now and know that God will hear you and answer that prayer and save you today. But for those who already believe this good news to be true, would you, some of you be willing to take that same message to the world around us? Not based upon our own good merit or goodness. We are all sinners, and we're all unworthy to go up based upon our own track record. Our best works don't impress us, and our worst sins don't cause God not to want to redeem and use us. That's what God is best at, using repentant sinners who have been transformed by the gospel to go and tell other sinners about the hope that's found in Jesus, all for the glory of God. Even in your weakness, do you believe God can use you? Even in your fear, do you believe God can use you? Even in your anxiety and stresses, do you believe God can use you? I pray that you do because that's what he's in the business of doing. He yearns to hire more laborers, and he will equip you for the task. He's miraculously done that in my life and in my life currently, and I know he is in doing that in your life as well. But we must send missionaries in a worthy manner with the will of God as their aim, but they also must go out fully supported by the church. Look at verse 7. John tells us that these missionaries were going out for the sake of the name. What name, you may ask? Was it the name of the church? Was it their own name? No, it was the name of Jesus Christ that they went out. It was for his glory, his fame, that they told others the good news of what uh, Christ had done. And that must be our aim as we go. It's not for our glory. It's not for others to be impressed by us and say, wow, you're so awesome and sacrificial for going to a hard place and giving up your things. That's so noble and honorable. No, it's, it's good to be encouraged by others, but it cannot be for our own glory. It cannot be a pup, to puff us up in our own abilities. We are daily dependent upon the name of Jesus to get us through the day, and we are dependent on his spirit to work through us in any effort. Do you notice also in verse 7 that these missionaries accepted nothing from the Gentiles? What this means is they, that they needed no external support from outside the church. Um, they were committed to going to the Gentiles, but they knew that all of their physical, spiritual, and personal needs were being met holistically 
uh, the church. What a great testimony that would be if people that we send out would say, man, I've got all that I need from Christ's fellowship and that I know that I can trust and, and find hope and rest and be encouraged through this church. But I want to kind of connect the ideas of caring and sending and going as a cycle that we as a church can com uh, commit to growing in. We're doing it well in a lot of ways, but there's always room for growth. And none of these disciplines are isolated, and we as a church need to see the long-term process of care and sending and going. Look at verse 8. John tells the church that they ought to support missionaries. Why? So that the church may be fellow workers of the truth. The whole cycle is a matter of teamwork. We're all on the same team trying to get people out of the church to share the gospel with those across the world who have never heard it. And let's take a second and celebrate. We've already done that a little bit earlier as well, but let's celebrate what God is already doing through our church. We currently have four individuals or families who have gone to the nations. May we care for them while they're overseas, while they're back on their stateside breaks. This can be done through joining one of their advocacy teams and committing to praying and celebrating what God's doing every third Sunday down in the basement. And if you're interested in that, talk to one of the pastors, talk to me, talk to a deacon, or just go down there on a Sunday and see what's going on. You can also, like we said earlier, you can invite them into your home, have a meal with them, offer a place of rest, let them decompress and share their stresses and what they've been going through, and just even just have an open ear just to listen and empathize with them. But also, you could even go see them. There's opportunities through our church to go to these places and see what God's doing and even consider, could I, be, could I join the work that God's doing in this area? That's also an opportunity if you're interested in that. But also, let's look at what's coming down the road a little bit. Um, today, we have the joy of sending Ethan and Lauren Hunt and Anna Brodzik out as they are committing at least for two years to go and share the gospel with the nations and to make disciples of, of the nations. How exciting is that? I mean, that's, that's the stuff that we've been, that's an that's a outworking of discipleship in our church, right? That just, did, just didn't happen overnight for them. It's people encouraging them day in and day out the last couple of years to, to consider this. People praying for them to see their needs met, to get to this point. And we can continue to pray for them. There's a lot that's uncertain in their days ahead. Walk with them, pray for them, love them through this time and know that the Lord is in control of their life and the Lord is going to see to it that his name will be proclaimed to the nations through them. But we can celebrate and see that. And also, we are going, my wife and I and Josie, we're, on, we're going to be leaving in December. So you can be praying for us. You can be, at, you can be helping us as we process and, and, and let go of a lot of good things that we're going to miss dearly uh, as we continue to want to, to work um, together um, and see what the Lord is doing in uh, the nations. So we can just continue to think about the people that are already out there, that are already serving, and those in our church that are about to go. But also, there are people in this room that I know by name that are in the process of wanting to go. Maybe they've already filled out an application, they're praying about it, they're halfway through it. If you know somebody that's interested or is, is in the process or is at least considering it, encourage them. Talk to them. Pray with them. Invite them into your home. Help them process the next steps that they, that they should take and know that that's how Kate and I, Ethan and Lauren and Anna, that's how we're going is because you all cared for us. And that's how Joel and Jesse and Claire and Mackenzie and Eric and Paige, that's how they went because the church cared for them. 
and sent them out. So do that for these next, the next line of people as well. But let's look at what's on the horizon, if you will. There are people in this room that I know that are in, maybe in high school, in college, and maybe going overseas, even considering that feels like it's down the road. I would encourage you to pray, talk to your parents, talk to friends. Be willing to say, God, would you use me in that way? Maybe some of you that are in college or about to graduate are like, man, I might do that, but I, I don't want my parents to be mad. I would like kind of waste my bachelor's degree. Like I'm not, I, I want to make money. I want to be successful. I want to provide for my family in some way. I want to get married. I want to have a family. You know, I want to do all these things. Would you be willing to say, man, it's more important to go than to check those boxes? Is it more important to, to share the words of eternal life with those who are perishing and say, I'm willing to give up a career. I'm willing to maybe not get married in the next season of my life because I know that it's more important to let lost people be able to hear the gospel and know that that's worth it. Maybe some of you that are in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s who have faithfully served in this church, in, in this community, maybe God is actually beginning to call you to go. Would you be willing to quit your job, to lose connections that you've had here at this church? Would you be willing to talk to your spouse, your children, your family, your friends? And would you, would you be, have the courage to know that that's a worthy endeavor and that Jesus says to his disciples that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field and that when we find that treasure, we sell all that we have and we go and buy that field because we know that it's worth it? Would you be willing to sell all that you have in some ways and go to the nations knowing that it's worth it, even at the immense cost of what you may lose uh, here in the States and in Bowling Green? There's one, more, there's one more demographic I'm not going to overlook. What, what if you've retired? What if you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s? Would you believe that God could still use you to go to the nations, to be a part of what God's doing? That you would end the last chapter of your life not worried about a retirement home or a, or a renewed hobby or spending time with those around you, but you would say, man, I have experienced the love of the gospel for so long in my life that I just want other people who have no access to be able to hear that. There are people that we have met firsthand, Kate and I, and have heard about who have retired, who have grandkids that are in their 60s and 70s who are in the process of going overseas right now and will be, will be going overseas in the next year because they caught God grabbed their heart even in their last seasons of life. So no one is too old. No one's too uh, broken. No one's too uh, left out to go. But maybe you really do feel confident that you should send and that you should stay here. I would just encourage you in that way to do it faithfully. As we read, it takes effort. It takes faithful effort. Verse 5. Do it faithfully. Strive, toil, pray. Invite people into your home. Give your resources, your time, your energy, so that those in this room and that people that will be coming to our church in the coming years and decades will have a place to be able to be sent out well. If that's you, do it, continue to do it. Praise God if you're already doing it. Or maybe ask yourself, how can I begin to send people well and not just feel like I'm sitting on the sidelines? Not like me as a you know, kid trying to prove my worth, kicking a kickball, feeling, feeling like if I didn't do well one day or did really good that they were going to pick me. No, we're all on the same team. We're all co-laborers together. Um, John says that we are fellow workers. 
for the truth. And that's the truth, right? We all in this room, all of Christ's fellowship, we are fellow workers to see the gospel go out to the nations. And may we as a church be about making the gospel known in Bowling Green, in Warren County, in Kentucky, in the United States, in Turkey, in the Netherlands, in Africa, in South Asia, South America, Europe, China, anywhere, name a place. We're supposed to be part of that too. So may we as a church be committed to caring and sending and going out of these four walls so that the gospel hope of Jesus Christ can be heard, tasted, and experienced by the nations, all for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you equip, qualify, raise up, and use broken people like us. God, I pray for some of us in this room that we would um, be willing to go and say yes to that call. For others that you want to use to send, I pray that they would be faithful in their efforts to go, uh, to send well, and to help people who want to go. And maybe for some, today is the day of salvation. Lord, the, the gospel, they never believed it, so they don't even know how to share it, Lord. They need to receive it. So I just pray that they would receive the hope of your life, your death, your resurrection, your forgiveness, and your grace. It's freely offered to those who repent and believe in you. So I just pray, Lord, that you would do that today in all of us, Lord. And I pray that we would have open hands to say, Lord, use me. Use my family. Use my time. Use my resources. Use my future for your glory and for the good of the nations. I pray this all in your name. Amen.